0: Well, wait a minute. Now, let's let's just <laughs> stop for a second. How many guns do you have
1: that you actually need? Uh, just the one let's I need see. when I'm being attacked. That's right.
0: episode zero that's right episode zero of the frugal firearms podcast the podcast that is going to bring you awareness of the best values across the shooting industry because we all have what expenses i'm craig and i'm here with my co-host ken ken do you have
1: expenses do you spend money on things oddly enough i do what do you spend money on ken Not as much on myself as I would like or on my hobbies as I'd like. tends to be sucked up by uh, things like gasoline, uh, the Biden economy, uh, my falling 401k value, all of the things that uh, I thought I had more of and, and I have less of now. So do we think that our audience, consisting
0: of gun enthusiasts, are all people who have unlimited amounts of money
1: and would spend every dollar they could on guns? Well, I think people would like to spend more than they currently spend, but we want value for a dollar because we know how hard it is to earn that dollar in the first place. And Because of that, yeah, we're looking for things that are in the firearms community that are both useful, interesting, and have a good value. So that is the show philosophy,
0: and every episode our listeners are going to get exposed to those types of things, those elements that extract the most shooting fun and shooting value for your dollar. But it's not all about shooting. It's about all the things in the industry related to shooting. It could be knives. It could be cleaning gear. It could be training opportunities. It could be websites. It could be anything that really enhances the shooter's experience. So what are we going to talk about today, Ken? Being episode zero, this is the episode where we introduce what we're doing And then as we get going into the podcast and future episodes, we're going to have a lot of guests lined up. But today, I think, let's tell them, we've told them what the purpose is and the philosophy and what to expect. But what kind of other things that we, what do we want to say right up front about the, well, is this legal advice, Ken? Absolutely not. And so anything that we say here is our what? personal opinion. Our personal opinion only. And if you need that kind of information that relates to whether something is legal or not, they should go to a... Lawyer. And not us. And not us. Exactly. Because we're not giving legal advice here. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on that because it's just our opinion. Now when people get back to us, are they going to disagree with what we say? Some will. They they will. Mm -hmm. It's the internet. They're going to disagree with us. And do we like constructive criticism? Absolutely. Do we like just being trolled on the Internet? No. No, we don't. So anybody who has constructive criticism will have some opportunities to reach out at the end of the show. Um, but if you're just going to troll us, or if you're just going to say, you know, you guys are stupid, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. You know what? There's lots of other podcasts out there. But you know what makes this podcast unusual, Ken? Well, what 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 would you say, Craig? I would say that it's because we're focused just on the value proposition. That doesn't mean cheap. Now, let's talk about what cheap and value are. <laughs> Ken and I have known each other for how many decades now? Almost 50 years. Almost 50, yeah, coming up on about 50 years. We view value maybe a little differently. Ken tends to be a little more on the thrifty side of value. Cheap. <laughs> okay, cheap. And I tend to be a little bit more on the I'll spend money to get value side. True. But neither of us have unlimited funds. No. And neither of us are going to ever have unlimited funds. No. So because of that, there's a lot of companies that you won't hear talked about on this podcast, the ones that don't represent value. I We're not going to dime out companies that we don't think have value because we're going to give companies the opportunity to come on and make the case that they give value.
1: Now, I used to be really big into trap shooting here, and I always wanted a Perazzi shotgun, I really did. And Perazzi shotguns I think start at about fifteen dollars to $20,000, and they can go up to a half a million dollars. Gorgeous, I've seen them, I've even had the opportunity to hold some of them. Uh, would love to have them, but they're more artwork than they are something functional that I would use. So that would be a company that we probably won't be hosting on the show. No, we will not have Perazzi here. Now, does that mean that Perazzi is a bad value for everyone? If you got the money. I mean, there are people. I see people I was over by the beach uh, just just, uh, yesterday, and people were driving up and down the coast, and a Ferrari, which was a bright red Ferrari. I don't even know the model number of it, but I'm looking at it going, it's at least... $300,000, Three hundred thousand, probably five hundred thousand dollar car, and he was driving slow. Why? I think because he wanted to be seen. Okay, and people want to do that. That's fine. But again, uh, the person driving the Toyota was, you know, at, at a fraction of the cost, was getting by just fine. But what do I drive? Well, now that's an interesting <laughs> statement right there. <laughs> you do drive a ten cylinder, uh, naturally aspirated uh, Audi supercar. Um, I do not. Um, but for me, that was value. It was value, yes. So you see, there are different perspectives on value, and we're not
0: here to say that anyone else's perspective on value is wrong. But again, there are, and, and and Ken didn't mention I bought that out he used, so I saved a lot of money on that.
1: But uh, we could both point out that we both own the first vehicle that we, we ever bought in our lives. That is a true statement.
0: Yeah, for you, a GTO, and for me, a 73 Cuda. Yep, '73 Cuda and '67 Pontiac GTO. Exactly. So, um, in this week's episode, we're going to be covering a few different items that we think represent good value. Um, And at the end, we're going to give you again a little opportunity to reach out, make the show better. Uh, There's no Patreon site yet. There's no um, advertisements on the or advertisements, as most people say, on the show as of yet. Uh, But we are interested in feedback, and we are interested, of of course, in hosting companies that we think represent value on the show. So, without further ado, my first item up is the LaRue MBT-2S uh, two-stage trigger. Now, I'm a two-stage guy. I happen to think that trigger, for its price point, is fantastic. Out of the box, don't need a gunsmith to do anything to that. Incredible reset, minimal take up, consistent, perfect if you don't mind having something that's not a drop in trigger. Uh, for drop in triggers, I just became aware that Trigger Tech has now come out, and you say Trigger Tech. For those who are familiar with Trigger Tech, who claim to have, by the way, no friction because they use bearings um, and not sliding surfaces in their triggers, why would Trigger Tech be a value proposition? because they have a new trigger that hopefully will get Trigger Tech representatives on the show at some point to talk about their product, which is a very inexpensive, uh, also a two-stage trigger, which I prefer. Um, That's a drop-in that actually is, for them, very, very inexpensive. Interested in finding out what listeners use
1: um, and what they like? Again, I'm a two-stage guy. Ken, you're a single-stage guy, aren't you? Tend to be. Again, um, I'm not doing many match competitions where you're going to be firing, you know, four, six, eight, hundred, a 1,000 yards. I do have a few things that will reach out that far. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I pretty much want it to be uh, consistent, the same every time. And I want it to be just the same feel. It's what I grew up with. It's what I have. What I like. Um, not that I'm saying I couldn't come to really enjoy a two-stage trigger, but I think I would have to probably have a, a higher end, maybe a some sort of a match rifle, maybe and with glass on it, um, uh, scope on it, which probably would cost as much, if not more, than the rifle itself. Then I'd probably be much more into a two-stage trigger.
0: Very often that's the case, obviously with glass, and uh, unfortunately <laughs> so. Uh, actually, scopes is going to be something that we 're going to concentrate a lot on uh mm-hmm. in my show notes. I have uh another product I wanted to talk about uh in here which is Athlon scopes i 'm um, not going to jump to that right now i but I am going to go back to your point about um long range uh match shooting you 've seen me shoot how well do i shoot you you are uh, you're okay I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like a three moa guy. You know, that's that's kind of a good day. Oh, good. Yeah. You yeah. Hit so the
1: center. yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah <laughs> I made
0: it go. I made it go bang it. You know, or, or gong at 200 yards. Yeah, that's me. Um, but I like the two stage trigger because I like to the feel of the take up and pre staging it so that I sort of know the next thing that's going to happen. Break. It's going to go. It's going to break. Uh, that, that, to me, is good. Actually, there was a new trigger at SHOT Show this year, which is a zero-break trigger. How so? How so? Electronic. It simply uses a strain gauge in the trigger, and as you pull back, it simply measures the strain and then releases when it hits a certain point.
1: Probably so programmable, a, too.
0: Yes, it is programmable. And it, it, is not, it is not something that I was able to try uh, when I was there, but it, it does, I mean, a
1: zero-break trigger is an interesting item. That's reminiscent of, I think, Remington had some uh, electronic uh, primered um, firearms a few years ago where they basically, instead of having a, a primer hit, you know, you had a hammer and a firing pin hitting a primer, uh, it used an electronic signal. Uh, which, which actually, when you're shooting a thousand yards, even the uh, the movement of of a hammer moving forward and hitting a uh, a firing pin can actually you know cause you to have an adjustment of, of a foot or more at a thousand yards. So an electronic trigger or electronic primer, and maybe an electronic trigger, would be uh, <laughs> very helpful for that. It would be, yeah, and and
0: um, again, maybe a product that I'll never own because uh, the truth of the matter is, you know, how often do we get out and shoot? Now I'll 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 tell our listeners uh, another little little interesting point here. Maybe not that interesting. Um, we're not former military. Uh, we're not tier one guys. We you know our our training is what we've paid for, not something an institution has given to us. Uh, and a lot of it has been you know just. Exposure across the industry, you know, for for decades. Um, And because of that, you know, our burn rate on ammunition, which obviously is now more expensive than any of us would like, sort of constrains uh, our our ability to get out. And that's part of the reason that was the genesis for this uh, podcast was trying to get the most out of every round you send down range, whether that be at a square range and you're simply punching paper, uh, whether it's something more dynamic. But if you're buying things that, you know, if you're the person who is going to be, you know, quote, an operator, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, or if you legitimately use your guns every day in the course of your duties, law enforcement officers, things like that, there'll be a lot of stuff in this show that might apply and a lot that absolutely will not. This is for the guys who have the guns in the safe that they want to make better, uh, that probably sit in the safe most of the time, uh, that don't come out except maybe on weekends. That's our target audience. It's the guys who really want to have something better that they can afford because they also have to buy gas and food.
1: Exactly. I mean, that's one of the big reasons why a number of years ago I got into reloading. And and, and initially, it was, it was uh, depending on what caliber you're shooting, it really wasn't a, a value proposition at the time because the ammunition was relatively inexpensive, and you know, with reloading, there's an initial investment. You know, you got to buy a press, you got to buy dies, you got to, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of things. You can get into reloading for about a hundred bucks, on the low end, you know, to reload, and then you can take it up to the multi thousands of dollars, uh, or more, to really get into high volume, reloading. And I'm, I'm still using a, uh, 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 basically it's a, it's a single stage press with a, with a turret on it. So I basically, it's a seven position reading. It's a high quality item and I can reload virtually everything I have. And there are certain calibers I have to do that with because I've got some oddball character uh, calibers that are, when you go out into the commercial market, they're 7 to $10 a round. Okay. I don't wanna spend seven to ten dollars around. But I do want to occasionally shoot this monstrosity that I have acquired over the years. And um yeah, you gotta be a reloader if you're gonna do that. So
0: Yeah, I, I I I don't have uh any of those guns you're talking about. Um and I don't necessarily aspire to either because um You know, my collection is a lot smaller than yours. For, you know, dear listeners, you know, Ken's collection is substantial. uh, And mine is less substantial.
1: He spends it on supercars. I spend it on other things. I
0: spend it on all kinds (laughs) of things. But, you know, kids' education, for one thing. Or, you know, better... I mean, how much beer have you had recently, Ken?
1: Uh, That's that's a good question. Uh, I am... Uh, over 60 years of age now and I have never once had an alcoholic beverage of any type. And that's not a religious reason or something like that. It, that is a personal decision I made early in life. And um, on how much money have I saved on not buying beer or alcohol low these uh, six decades? Sure. And in my garage that Ken has seen many times I have <laughs> a bottle collection of
0: over 750 bottles and every one of those bottles is one that I personally consumed. So... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there there are differences in how we view value. Um, what product do you want to bring up first?
1: Oh, I don't know. Uh, I have a, I've got all sorts of things um, that we can talk about. But um, uh, for example, I was approached recently by uh, a friend's wife. Um, he he passed away of pancreatic cancer, quite sad, at the age of sixty three, and uh, his wife now alone in a in a house and feeling like she wanted to own her first firearm, and she was looking for a value firearm. And uh, I said, okay, um, I tend to be, uh, for, for new shooters and for anybody who's getting into the shooting sports, I tend to be a revolver guy first. I tell them, revolver first, and then you want to move on to something else. Um, you know, highly encouraged. But the reason I say that is, if it's uh, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, you're waking up out, out of a dead sleep, and you grab a you know nineteen eleven or something like that, maybe you hit the wrong button uh you know you drop the magazine out and the you know hits the floor or whatever i mean it, they're just more complicated uh or you didn't you had to rack the slide or you got a failure to feed or who knows what whereas a revolver, you just pick it up and you squeeze the trigger and it will go bang five or six or seven times or whatever how many rounds are in it and whatever caliber so one of the ones that I had s- suggested um, to my uh, my friend's wife was a uh, a Taurus, which I think is a very good value proposition. And again, when firearms are offered in blue steel or or stainless steel, and the stainless steel is usually twenty or thirty dollars more, I will say always buy the stainless steel version of the gun, um, just for the fact that uh, it's going to be a slightly lower maintenance. You don't get to cleaning it right when you get back from the range, or you or you know the bag gets wet somehow, you know, something spills on it, you're not going to pull out a, a rifle or a pistol that's got, you know, surface rust all over it, which can ruin the value of a firearm. Um, not that I sell a whole lot of stuff, but you don't want to ruin the value of it, and you want to keep your firearm. So I tend to be a revolver guy first and stainless steel. And the one I suggested was a uh, Taurus Model 856, which was a six-shot thirty eight Special Revolver.
0: Now, how many people in the audience just grimaced when my partner Ken just said Taurus? Because Taurus does have a certain reputation that doesn't necessarily put them in a good light. But Taurus actually has turned a lot of things around. In, in conversations at the shot show, I had the uh, quality assurance side of the house has figured it out uh, based on new management. And they really are, you know, trying to, they they know where their weaknesses are and they're trying to repair that image.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And they're trying to do so objectively, not just through advertising or something like that. So, you know, good on you. And, you know, again, uh, are you going to recommend that Taurus, the one that's sitting right in front of you on the table, are you going to recommend that particular Taurus to a guy who is going to be out, you know, in pitched gun battles every week?
1: Mm, probably no.
0: Okay, but if it's a <laughs> if it's a, you know, a purse gun or in the safe next to the bed or something like that, is Absolutely. it going to go bang when you pull that trigger? 6 times. It's going to go bang when you pull that trigger. And that's really the important thing to remember here, um, which is that if a, if if she was presented with you told her she had to go get company XYZ's, you know, 1911 uh, you know, tricked out, and by the way, you have to send it in for a trigger job and new springs, race tuning, and and uh, yeah. and checkering, and so on. Uh, and you're only going to be out two thousand dollars on this gun.
1: Would she have a gun right now? No. This the value gun uh, here. It was on sale uh, at the opening of a recent gun store here, in uh, in our town here, and uh, it was a uh, two hundred ninety nine bucks. Uh, and I went down to take a look at it and I said, it's great. It's not a high end Smith and Wesson or something like that, but at $299 for a stainless steel 38 special revolver, which will spend probably a, a couple of weekends a, a year at the range, you know, maybe a hundred rounds through it, a hundred, 200 rounds to it most per year. Uh, is this going to be, um, uh, Something that uh, a, a woman could rely upon? Absolutely. Become proficient at? Absolutely. And, and a value proposition for her? Because she doesn't have a lot of money. If you got a ton of money, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> you could have a lot of money and still find value in what we're talking about. It's true. Because when I mean, some of the things that I'm planning on talking about in the future are things that you might, you know, I've mentioned trigger tech. I mean, heretofore, I would have thought trigger Tech. no way are they a value company. I mean, they're a top-end company, Then, if I want to spend north of three bills on a Trigger, maybe I'll consider that, but I don't want to spend north of three bills on a Trigger because I don't use it often enough to, to justify that. And to tell you the truth, you know, being the 3-MOA shooter I am, I don't justify it. So why not get something a little bit more affordable? All right. Um... You know the thing that I uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about too I uh, having been to a number of uh of shot shows uh a a, a constant person there is Jerry Mitchell. Um, one
1: thing you might want to tell people who might not know what the shot show is.
0: You know what you're right the shooting and hunting outdoor trade show which is an annual event um, that happens um, for decades now in Las Vegas it used to be um, in, in other locations. But uh, the SHOT Show is essentially you know, the pinnacle of trade shows in the shooting industry. Um, it is bigger uh, than the NRA convention in terms of the number of exhibitors. And uh, this year they've expanded the floor space out into... it. It is at the Palazzo at the Sands Convention Center, and it has spilled over now into the um, Caesars Forum, and they've massively increased the floor space there. Uh, it is a trade industry show, and both you and I are, are in the trade. Uh, it is not a public show, but, so it's not a buyer's show unless you're buying large quantities of something. Um, but at the same time, it does give you exposure to all the industry insiders. So walking around the SHOT Show for the purposes that I was there, uh, some of the you know, tangential conversations I had, you know, uh, Jerry Michalik was there. And and mm-hmm. Jerry, if you don't know who he is, he's he's a, a, a fun and, and really wonderful guy. And by the way, his daughter, uh, Lena, has really, you know, come into her own and is standing on her own two feet and not just riding her dad's coattails in terms of being a, a legitimate shooting personality, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jerry is known for, for his
1: ridiculously fast and, and controlled shooting. Preeminent shooter. Probably in, in the country, if not the world, today.
0: In in some ways, I mean, you know, I think his, his competitive days are, are, are yeah. well behind him, but uh, you know, he's still very much an influencer. Uh, and he came up uh, a few years back with a compensator uh, for 223. And I know some people might say, why would you comp a 223? Well, I'll tell you one reason to comp a 223. Ken and I both live in California, and... California views what dimly flash hiders mm-hmm. because flash hiders
1: are evil. They're actually safety equipment, but they are yeah. According to that no, one.
0: but no, 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 no. They're evil, 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 evil. Hiders. So says so says our our, our leadership in Sacramento. Right, uh, but the compensator's is not. <laughs> so, if you want to have a muzzle device on the end of your uh, AR um, compensator is perfectly fine.
1: So yeah, or uh, even on some. Uh, some bolt-action guns. A lot of a lot of firearms these days are coming with threaded barrels. Right. And you can place compensators on almost anything. And it actually does in, in, increase the pleasurability of shooting almost any caliber. Not for the people next to you, it doesn't. Well, it depends on what it is. But that's true. They do have those redirect-forward <laughs> ones and different styles and so forth. But yeah, it's just true.
0: Absolutely. And in fact, uh, in the case of um, uh, Jerry's compensator... I ended up having the opportunity to talk to him about the design because it's very unique. It doesn't have holes on the top, and you think, well, how's it going to press the barrel down if it doesn't have holes on top? What it has is one of the ports is cut differentially, where it is narrower on the top than it is on the bottom, and that creates the downward pressure. Trapezoid. Not exactly a trapezoid, but a a differential cut in, in uh, in one of the vents so that it does create downward pressure because there's more metal on the bottom of the thing than there is on the top. So I asked him, you know, how did you come up with this design? By the way, there are objective tests out there that show that um, Jerry Mich- uh compensator is one of the most effective on the market. Uh, you don't have to have something that looks like it came off a video game or out of a sci-fi movie, to have an effective compensator. And so how did he do that? He said he used the paper test, and he had told me that a few years ago when I went to uh, one of the shows, and I didn't understand the paper test. What does that mean? Well, I ended up talking to him again uh, this year and asked him, what is you told me the paper test, Jerry, but what did you mean by that? He said, oh, I took a piece of notepad paper, and I held it in front of the gun, and I kept changing the design until the paper wouldn't rip. Mm. Until it was basically right, not exactly up against the muzzle, but close to the muzzle. And when it didn't rip the paper because of the venting gases to the side, he goes, I knew I had the right design. Oh, and you know how he did it? He used—he started off the design using uh, 1022 bull barrel blanks that he yeah. cut up, up and then milled and then just tried different designs. So very inexpensive comp um, as comps go. There are some cheaper. Um, some are very effective, some are not. Uh, but uh, the Jerry Mitchell Compensator, highly recommended. Very easy to clean because the vents are very large. It doesn't have lots of little holes in it that get plugged up with carbon and things like that. It just looks great. What's another thing you want to discuss?
1: Oh, uh, interesting question. I don't know. I have a bunch of odd things I could bring in and talk uh, Sure. Talk about. Bring uh, us something odd. All right. Um, those of you who watch Quigley Down Under... Uh, who who basically watched what an 1874 uh, Buffalo rifle was capable of doing? Um, I recently acquired one. Mine is uh, an Italian uh, copy of it, but it's considered very good. And it's not in the original 45-110 caliber or 45-120 caliber. And what that means is 45 is the diameter of the bullet, 0. 0.45 inches basically, and then. Uh, originally, a 110 or a 120 would be 110 grains of black powder. Uh, mine is in a—it's in a, also in a black powder cartridge, but it's uh, the 4570, which is a 45 caliber with 70 grains of black powder. And the 4570 is one of the few rounds which uh, basically made the successfully made the transition from the black powder era, which pretty much ended about 1900. Uh, and made it into the modern era with the development of smokeless powders. And uh, the 4570 today is capable with modern powders, uh, modern chemistry, modern smokeless powders, of uh, well exceeding the capabilities of a a 45110 black powder or a 45120 black powder. And um, so anyway, I have it with the uh, double set triggers and the... and the octagon barrel, and the, and it's a it's an 800 yard rifle. Um, you're basically lobbing it in uh, because it's it's going to come out the uh, the muzzle end probably somewhere around the 1600, uh, uh, depending if you hot load it, maybe up to 2,000 or so feet per second, and you're going to be you know lobbing a very heavy 500 grain and anywhere from 350 to 550 grain uh, lead projectile uh, in in a fairly large arc. Over a distance of uh, 800 to 1,000 yards, but actually uh, they do work, and there have been some phenomenal shots that have been made uh, and and have been verified. There was one that was done actually with an original 1874 back in the day, and I think the they measured the the shot at something like 1,800 yards. You can actually look that up. Hit a 1,800. 1,800 yards. yards. Yeah. As a, you can, you Probably know,
0: didn't have a lot of
1: kinetic energy left at that point. I yeah, don't it, imagine it, it? It's, it's a, uh, it, Yeah, it was enough. Uh, that was a, a, a battle um, that, that occurred, and you can read about it. I could look it up for you if we needed. Yeah, what did you spend on this rifle, though? I got it because um, we're talking value here, right? So, what's the value proposition? I did um a value proposition it was uh it's a copy uh, it's not an original it's a copy um, and I was able to pick it up for a reasonable price of under $1000 and the advantage is the fact that it was done with modern steel and modern brass and it's a modern reproduction so it's basically it's a brand new it's a brand new gun with it with better quality parts better case hardening better everything it's beautiful wood's gorgeous everything's gorgeous about it uh, this is one of these situations of, of d- did I need it? No. Well, wait a minute.
0: Now let's let's just <laughs> stop for a second.
1: How many guns do you have that you actually need? Uh, just the one let's I need see. when I'm being attacked. That's right. Uh, that I need to defend myself or my family. Or, but uh, no, these are. This was a bit of a splurge, but it was something I wanted to acquire, and I've always. You know, if you've watched the Quigley Down Under. Uh, movie, you know, you kind of get to appreciate appreciate what uh, Tom Selleck did there in the movie. Um, I actually saw the original Quigley rifle that he used in the movie at the National Firearms Museum um, a number of years ago. Uh, that was at the NRA Museum uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. When I visited, there was a uh, they had the, the rifle there. I think it's since been moved, possibly been auctioned off uh, to somebody. I think it was actually auctioned off to someone and got many thousands of dollars for a very good cause. But um, anyway, great fun. Uh, mainly it's something you take to the range, and you will all of a sudden draw a huge amount of attention <laughs> from people who've never seen one and are very interested in wanting to shoot one. And they're, that's one of those guns that I have that has no practical purpose but the value to me is more experiential on what people are going it, to it's a talking thing something we can talk to and make friends with people come over
0: yeah and there's a that that's a value all to itself it really is. just the you know the ability to to you know generate and, and maintain relationships is is important the last one I'm going to talk about today, um, and by the way, I don't think we mentioned that this. this is episode zero after all. Our goal here is to try to keep this show uh, always under an hour uh, because you know maybe you have other podcasts you want to listen to, or perhaps you just have other things to do because after all, you're probably still earning money, <clears throat> just like Ken and I still are, but... We do want to keep this to you know notionally in the in the forty minute to to one hour time period, and certainly not more than that. And we're coming up pretty close on that number right now. But I did want to bring up uh, another site that I think is is worth uh, jumping into, for those who are looking for sort of the clearinghouse. At least I think it's the best clearinghouse of, of uh, gun cost information. There's a couple of them. There's Guns dot Deals, Gun dot Deals, and it's. Um, uh, also has a uh, an app that you can get uh, that's that's very handy. Uh, it looks and behaves a lot like WikiArms uh, that allows you to put in a, a model or a parameter or a manufacturer or just simply look at the latest updates uh, and find good deals across the uh, the industry for any given model, and then it provides links uh, and rankings of each of the by cost, by the way of the thing you're looking for, um, no matter where it is. So just from a philosophical point of view, am I the kind of person who would say, do that and don't support your local dealer? No, I, I wouldn't say that. But a lot of times the gun that you really want isn't in stock locally. A lot of times the wait list might be very long to get the thing you want, but maybe that thing is in an adjacent state. Maybe it's on the other side of the country. And you still don't forget uh, patronizing those FFLs, you know, by using those local people to do the transfers for you. And I think that that's you know an important part of their business model and one that fa- that should be facilitated. Uh, you shouldn't have to feel that just because your local store doesn't have, you know, gun X Y Z with A B C, you know, uh, extras on it, that is the exact model you're looking for, that you can't have the thing you want. You know, use the power of, of uh, Gundot Deals or Wiki Arms to be able to go out and find that. Uh, another site that I want to bring up that's, um, you know, kind of goes to the center of the value proposition is DeVore.com. <clears throat> if you're familiar with DeVore, and DeVore is D V O R, so Delta Victor Oscar Romeo.com. They're a uh, sort of a subsidiary, if you will, of Optics Planet um, and, and their sites where. Prices are lower on DeVore. The downside of DeVore is you better know what you want because they don't accept returns. So this isn't the Amazon Prime model of I got it, I didn't like it, I sent it back. This is the model of you got it and you're keeping it or you're selling it on the secondary market. Uh, And they also pretty much never offer free shipping except a couple times a year. And the shipping is a flat $10 uh, per order uh, irrespective of what you order. But DeVore.com is something that you should be aware of uh, to go out and find deals. And they post new categories of deals all the time. Uh, And when they sell out, don't despair because you can put in a request for something and then you can get notification when that item comes back online again. And in fact, they'll send you an advance notification that it's going to be coming up in a few days. Got any other products for us today, Ken, in today's episode? Nothing specific, but uh, i got some good ideas for upcoming episodes. Okay. So we're going to cover that later. So what do we do um, going forward? Uh, again, this is the the fr- but this is, by the way, a collector's edition of this episode, if you because it is episode zero. And how many podcasts have you listened to that have an episode zero? Um, you can reach both Ken or myself. Uh, we're just sharing a common email address to keep it simple. So we both keep an eye on it. And it's frugalfirearmspodcast at gmail.com. Again, frugal. Firearms podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, we're going to have this posted to all of the um, various aggregators for uh, podcasts, so you should be able to find it on Spotify, iTunes, and elsewhere. If you are interested in commenting on the show, we kind of laid out our rules on that at the beginning, uh, that we're looking for constructive input, constructive criticism. Uh, we're also looking for potential guests. We're looking for potential advertisers. But right now, There aren't any of those, uh, so it's just for your enjoyment. Uh, But if you are representing a company or a service, uh, perhaps training, perhaps uh, other types of things ancillary to the firearms industry, and you're interested in being on the show, uh, the show is definitely being structured around the idea of having guests every week. So with that, we'll go ahead and sign off and look for you next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much.